Hi, and welcome to the Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast. Every week, we will talk to the great, the good, and the legendary from the worlds of food, drink, marketing, and business to help give you the advice that will really help your brand boom. A huge thanks to our headline sponsors, the award-winning Engage Interactive. Engage Interactive have been helping hospitality businesses like yours prepare for a mobile and digital first world since 2007. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. So today the sun is splitting the trees in lockdown or semi-lockdown and I've got another incredible episode for you on the Supersonic Podcast. Through Twitter, which has been such a great tool for me to meet lots and lots of different people that I would never have access to if I was just approaching them normally. One late night, I was on Twitter just tweeting about daft stuff and an amazing chef called Matt Gillen got in touch and I think he mentioned that he'd been listening to the podcast. I then jumped at the chance to get Matt onto the podcast and a few direct messages later and here we are. So if you don't know Matt, he's one of the most celebrated chefs in the UK, has worked his way up through the ranks, through Gordon Ramsay and South Lodge and many other great schooling grounds, I suppose, for being a chef. Worked hard from doing the dishes all the way through to being owner and founder and chef at the Heritage in Sussex. And he can't wait to get open again. Please enjoy this episode. He's such a lovely man. I'm so glad to have met him. And we got on like a house on fire. So I hope that I'll catch up with him in real life soon. But for the time being, enjoy Matt, enjoy the episode, and really kick back and revel in the story that he has to tell. So it gives me the most Sussexy pleasure ever uh, to introduce my next guest today, who is the incredibly talented chef Matt Gillen, who is the owner and chef at the Heritage in Sussex, and as we'll find out, an awful lot more things too. Hello, Matt. How are we doing, Mark? All right? I'm good. I'm good. I'm not too bad. Just nice sunny day in Brighton. Um, you're not too far away, I don't think. Well, I'm in Horsham at the moment, just recording from Horsham. Um, so yeah, so we're like, what, half an hour from you. But yeah, so the, the restaurant is uh, in a little village called Slatham, which is about 12 minutes from from Horsham. Um, it's like 20 minutes from Brighton. So it's, uh, you know, super accessible, really. And did you live in Brighton before, or are you always Horsham? Um, no, I've been in uh, I've been in Sussex for about I think it's twelve years now, twelve years, fourteen, fourteen years. Um, but always Horsham based. Um, and even when I was working in Brighton, I was still living in Horsham. So, um, yeah, it's a nice yeah, area. I remember as much as I, as much as I say, yeah, it's really accessible. Like that was doing that journey every day, um, traveling to the centre of Brighton. It's a real nightmare. <laughs> Yeah, good look. It just it wasn't built for this level of folk, I don't think. And uh, Horsham's nice. I remember years ago um, when I was at Pret, we were um, opening a Pret in Horsham, um, okay, but it was yeah. a kind of slightly different kind of Pret. Like it was a like coffee first, like a coffee forward um, thing, um, more than uh, sandwiches and all that kind of stuff. So it was it was a slightly different one, which was, it was all very brown. I seem to remember. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I, like Pratt is Pratt is my go-to place. I, I, I try 
try and keep it kind of quite independent and use the little places as well. But, you know, if I want to do a bit of work, I, I will just head to Pratt. You know, I've got my little spot in there up against the wall, you know, where you just face the wall. Um, yeah. so no one, you can't get, uh, you know, there's no one that can catch a eye or anything like that. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you know, the coffee's nice. They've got some nice snacks in there. So yeah, I, I quite like Pratt. Well, I mean, it even made the news today. I think I was listening, was I listening to Radio 2 or I was listening to uh, Radio X? And on the news, like, it made the news that more preps were opening, you know, for like for, from the lock, pre-lockdown sort of thing. So it was just like, geez, oh, what, what, a, what a size of brand. You know, McDonald's you understand and Starbucks you understand and, and these things, you know, but you don't expect we prep to be, to be doing it. But I guess they're not so we anymore. No, not so we. You see them everywhere, aren't they? They're like Starbucks. It's just, yeah, mental. <laughs> so, obviously, you're a bit handy and a bit tasty with your hands on, on the, the old chef front and, and that sort of thing. But it'd be really good um, to, to go back in a second and, you know, see, you know, where you started and how you get into this and, and all these different things. And obviously, there's been TV stuff and launching places and, and working with great people but just before we do that how's life at the moment um with the you know the lockdown or is it <laughs> anymore um and, and all that sort of stuff just how, how are you finding life and business and all these things i'm quite enjoying it at the moment to be honest uh, like, yeah. you know, and uh, you know i try and i try and be as positive about everything as i can and you know when when that announcement on you know the first monday was uh, everyone avoid restaurants pubs bars that I mean, that was just the shell shock. You know, we knew it was coming, yeah. but to be told that people have to avoid us before giving us any support or direction before we closed was just kind of gut wrenching. So you know, we were, everyone was at panic stations. Like, oh no, we watched the bookings like, fall through the floor, and and so at that point it was the what happens now? What happens now? And then that kind of quite rapidly changed, really. Um, and you know, I'm at a point now where we've got, there's, we've got a lot of time and I wouldn't say I've used it to the best of my ability, you know, because I had a few really lazy kind of, I'm not going to say days, you know, there's a couple of lazy weeks in there. Yeah. Um, but actually we've got a lot of time now to do things that I wouldn't normally do. So I'm, I'm currently, I've, I've stripped down the bar at the restaurant, completely sanded that back down, redoing the garden just painting the restaurant tidy, you know, making all these changes and adjustments that I wouldn't normally have the time to do. And 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 so what's for you for the next couple of weeks then? Is it is it just sort of waiting to see if this magic July the fourth is happening or whenever? No, I mean finances will dictate what, what our movements are going to be. I think July for, for me to open it'd be too early in July. Um, and I'd rather just wait and see what what restrictions are going to be eased up. So I'm working towards August, but it'd be interesting to see what happens from the beginning of July. Well, that's good stuff. Well, I mean, that sounds really sensible. And and also, you're much more of an experience than perhaps a lot of places are. And, you know, you, if you take that experience and atmosphere out of it, you know, it's um, it's not the complete package um, yeah. that, 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 that you're doing. Yeah, but exactly. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of part of the... I guess you have. I guess it's kind of a couple of couple of categories you look at, and there's there's well-being concerns for guests and and the staff, um, but these worries of, you know, what is my restaurant going to become? And I don't want to. Yes, we, there's certain things we're going to have to adjust. Um, certain things we're doing anyway. You know, just as 
because of the fact we're in the restaurant and we're in a high, very high, hyper hygienic area. But also, like you said, we are. It's an experience what you come for, and if if we've got if there's no atmosphere in this restaurant, and we know what it's like when you go into like Valentine's is a great example. You might have bums on seats, but there is no atmosphere in a restaurant. And so then that becomes <laughs> yeah. the normal atmosphere if we have if we're instructed to have two meters between tables and you know waiters in masks and food served on trolleys and you know it's like it's almost like well what's the point of opening again you know we just close it and do something else somewhere else was was it not you that posted about leaving the tables in yeah yeah I did right. that oh man I've I've told so many people about it. It's just you, yeah. I saw so many pictures. Like, wow, that's depressing. That's depressing. Like, what if you just don't take the table out? Don't use it. Just don't take it out. At least it doesn't feel like you've got this empty restaurant, you know. Or do something creative. There's, there's more positives. There are more positive ways to find solutions than and kind of looking at all this negative and uh, yeah. And that's just kind of my mindset, really. It's um, you know, let's just yeah put a positive on it. Let's let's think of something better than what we're coming up with at the moment that's what we do that's that's why hospitality is so exciting you know yeah well it was great and i I shared it far and wide and also on top of that i've talked to you know most of my clients about it and an md that i've been talking to just going did you see that post that was brilliant it was just really clever you know and you know you might not think it is but as you say everyone had went to robotics you know i must take out you know x many tables and it's like well no you know, just if if you leave it in, it almost feels like you've just been lucky. You know, you've you've got a restaurant, you know, a third of the restaurant to yourself. You know, you've you've won a watch, you're in a great restaurant and there's a wee bit of room. Yeah, know? exactly. Exactly. It's just turning those into a positive, isn't it? It's changing that yeah. mindset. And and I think I think the way that which we're gonna move out this in a in a wider space is is a change of mindset. And yeah, okay, we are we are still in the midst of this kind of pandemic, which is devastating, let's be honest. Mm. Um but it's, and it's it's a horrible thing to say, but it, there are some positives to take from from it all, you know. But if we if we go back then, so obviously you know you've had an amazing career so far, and you know plenty to come. But if we go back then, what was the starting points for hospitality, getting in the kitchen, you know, starting out really? Um, washing pots and pans in a pub of the A twenty one. <laughs> that's how it all started um uh, kind of so my best mate was um was working there i was actually doing a paper round and my best friend was washing up two days a week and he was just it was getting like serious cash i was like dude you got to get me a job here <laughs> because i'm doing seven days a week in the rain and the snow and the sun or whatever um you know getting up at half five i think it was and my, my paper round was it was the last one they had but i was desperate for to st- start earning some cash at i don't know how old i was so how old uh, probably 14 mm-hmm. so the only paper round they had was this three and a half four mile loop i think it was i was like yeah yeah i'll do it and it was you know i think i only had 12 papers to deliver but it was uh yeah it was right out and so you know it used to take me about <laughs> however long it took me to do this, to do this loop. Um, I was like, yeah, mate, you gotta, you got to give me a job in the pub. So he did, he started then cooking and I used to wash up on a Sundays and this place was busy eh, on a Sunday. Bearing in mind, it's on the side of the dual carriageway, um, which is between Alton and Farnham. 
um, this place called the Hen and Chicken. And it, yeah, it was just busy. Sundays were just mental. So I'd come in at 10 o'clock. The chefs had been in from 7, 7.30. No one had touched the pan at all. So it was just piled up. You know, you just greeted with like, oh, it was, <laughs> I used to dread it. I, I can still smell it now. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I started washing up. I did that for a while. I actually quite enjoyed it. I got on really well with the team. It was just a really small team. Um, and then uh, my mate Paul decided actually he didn't want to cook anymore. So I was like, right, cool. I'm going to do that. So I said to Nick, who's the head chef, Nick, can I do that? He said, well, yeah, you can, but you need to find someone to wash up. So, okay. So I got my brother. I said, right, do you want a job? <laughs> so you okay, go on there. Right, perfect. Right, you can wash up. <laughs> so he did that for a bit, and then I moved into the kitchen. And I loved it, like genuinely loved it. One, initially it was because this is a much better job than washing up, and I'm earning the same amount of money. And then I started to get into a bit more and – um, then I took a Saturday night shift, you know, and that was that was the beast shift. It was we'd be doing eighty ninety on a Saturday night, um, but you had the atmosphere, and you know, I remember Radio One with Pete Tong was blasting out the radio, uh-huh. and it was just awesome. I just and I look back so fondly of it, and I, I just loved that buzz and that the how everything came together at a certain point and left the kitchen, and you know, just that process and um, and the system as well. And just kind of fell into it, really, that way. Um, yeah, and then I stayed with Nick, and we moved on to the pub. We went to another restaurant together. Um, and, yeah, I just I just really, really enjoyed it and really kind of loved the environment. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Mark McSee Supersonic Food Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by BDO, the trusted accountancy and advisory firm. As the finance experts in hospitality, BDO have the experience and the insight to provide solid foundations for your business's future growth. BDO really are the go-to team to help your hospitality business succeed. If you're in need of a dedicated transactional team bolstered with corporate finance, audit and tax services, Talk to BDO, who've got the right expertise, knowledge and experience to drive your restaurant or bars business throughout their full life cycle. As thought leaders across the sector, BDO offers commercial and technical updates specifically tailored to restaurants and bars, including their annual hospitality reports. BDO also have a well-established network in the industry that spans across finance directors, suppliers and advisors and they are always willing to use this to their clients and their contacts' advantage. Get in touch today at bdo.co.uk to chat about how they can help take your hospitality business to the top and please say that I sent you. And what sort of uh, tips were you taking back then from the the head chef and all the rest of it, was there a few things you were thinking, oh, that, you know, that's going to stay with me or you still use today or anything like that? Or was it a little bit more old school? No, not really. I just, I mean, so, I mean, cast my mind back. It was the very basics, I guess. At that point, it wasn't a case of, or I'll save that one. Yeah, that'd be really good in the future. Because I I wasn't thinking like that. You know, I was 15, 16 years old. And, that's like I'm really enjoying this. I'm really enjoying this, and that was it. You just kind of absorb and absorb. You know, I wasn't writing any recipes down. But then I started buying books, and I bought um, Gordon Ramsay's 
Passion for Flavor, I think it was. I think I mm-hmm. think that was his first one. Sounds like a Mills and Boone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> um, but it was it was the first. I bought a few books before then, um, but it was and about the time I bought that, not long after that, um, Boiling Point came on. And oh yeah, I thought. And so Gordon's book was probably the most current book at that time of a high level chef. Um, and you know, it's not like it is now with you know TV programs here and there, um, and the internet is it was very much you had ready steady cook or there's nothing else and so you know this book of gordon and this boiling point program came on i was like well i'm gonna work for this guy um and one of the chefs i was working with he said why do you want to do that he's such a you know <laughs> insert expensive yeah um i said because i do like it's just that this is the book because i you know my upstairs grab the book this is the book and this is the program uh, yeah super excited it's probably at that point i really started to look at things I was doing and um, paying more attention, I think, I guess. And then that, that which is where it led me to, um, led me to Cambridge after that to Midsummer House. And from there, from sort of Cambridge, you know, what, what was the sort of point then you were sort of moving on to, to work in some of the celeb names that you, you were working with? Um, so Midsummer was probably the absolute turning point for me. And so when I had my interview with Daniel, he said, you know, he'd worked for Jean Baudet in, uh, in France and uh, David Cavalier, Marco Pierre White. And I was like, wow, Marco Pierre White. Yeah. And not really, all these people were just names on books, you know, or, mm. uh, or d- names in stories. And so that thought, okay, yeah, that'd be cool because Daniel's worked for Marco Pierre White. Yeah. And I'd seen a bit of food and I thought, wow, that's amazing. I could do this. Um, and then when I started, it was a different world. Like Daniel was just so I – I genuinely hadn't met anyone like Daniel Clifford before ever. Like he was such a like nice, funny, and then you get into service and just the focus was the food, the food, mm. the timings, that, that perfection, absolute perfection. And it was, it was different. Like I just genuinely didn't think I could do it. But that was where you realise if it wasn't good enough – then you probably don't deserve to be there. And I used to think that every day. I don't deserve to be here. Really? <laughs> somehow blagged my way into this kitchen and I am not ready for it. I can't say anything now. I'll just have to deal with it, but I am so not ready for this. And yeah. what was it just like imposter syndrome? Yeah, yeah a little bit. So, you know, I so you get when you're I guess we were such a small team before I went to Midsummer that and we weren't really we just wanted to do nice foods. But you go to midsummer, and Daniel doesn't want to do nice food. He wants to do amazing food. You know? mm. And I think that's, you know, so there's certain, so you go, I went to that restaurant thing, I knew what I was doing. And you go and you start learning, but you don't just learn a little bit. It's the st- It was the steepest learning curve I'd had, you know. Um, and it was, yeah, it was hard work. And you start learning all these new skills you've never done them before, like turning a vegetable or, um, yeah, and it was the consistency of everything as well that it was just it was just hard it was just relentless and and we were a small team as well there was nowhere to hide in there um, mm. so you either got good or you got gone you know <laughs> <laughs> but what about like you know the 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 sort of team management the man management women management the you know the mental health you know was it a tough environment to be in you know or was it quite a 
coaching environment as well, or was it just like you, you know, bit um, parent child? I'm sure Daniel won't mind me saying because he's kind of been quite honest about everything anyway. It was um, like mentally, I would say it was quite inconsistent. Bear in mind, we were striving for consistency with food. The yeah. actual mental side of everything was fairly inconsistent because it was driven by Daniel. And so, you know, it was, um, and it was driven on emotions, I guess. Um, you know, some days if, you know, chef was in a great mood, then you're going to have a great day and everyone was on it and, you know, fired up. The radio was on up until service and, and everyone's had a good day, but it just take the smallest thing. And that would change or, you know, it would change everything and everything all of a sudden you're on, on edge. But yeah. the, the mental, the, I guess the mental wellness wasn't really a focus back then as much as it is now. Yeah. Um, and it's not just, you know, midsummer, it was, it was plenty of kitchens. Um, and I'm not, it, the kitchen certainly wasn't run on fear, but if you knew, if you made a mistake and you knew you were going to get caught from it, <laughs> you didn't own up to it, then you put yourself in this kind of awkward position. Um, but you, know, you kind of put yourself in a bit of a, in a position of fear, really. <laughs> and then from there, I mean, how long was that stint then at, at Midsummer? Uh, three and a half years. Jeez, so I was, I was the longest serving member of Midsummer House at that point. And then Mark Poynton came and destroyed my record. So... <laughs> Oh <laughs> yeah, no. I think I think um, Mark is uh, Daniel's current head chef. Has uh, currently got the record now of I don't know I don't know how long he's been with Daniel. Long time. Yeah, and then what 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 happened next then, and, and what did you take from it? So when I was at Minter, I said to Daniel, you know, I really want to work for Gordon Ramsay. So Daniel said, "There is no way you are going. You are ready for Gordon Ramsay. There's no way you'll survive at Hospital Roads." But I'll get you to that point. Um, so that was my next move. Daniel one day said, right, I think you're ready. Was that really? Yeah. So yeah, I think if you wanted to, so I don't want to lose you, but if you want to make a next move, hospital road, now's the time to do it. So, okay. So I did, you know, went for, went for an interview, got the job. And again, that was very, very different as well to Daniel's. Um, but yeah, so I moved from Cambridge to London, um, and then started a three-star restaurant. And was the interview with Gordon Ramsay? No, 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 no. Uh, so this is the point where, um, there's quite, there was a few restaurants around at the, not as many as there are now or, or where. So, but all his like, top guys that you'd see on uh, boiling point had gone on. So there's Claridge's, Marcus Waring had his restaurant, Angela Hartner had hers, um, but the interview is with Mark Haskew, um, who's who's not with the group anymore, I don't think. Um, but yeah, it was just a day day in the kitchen, and uh, it wasn't it wasn't particularly exciting, I don't think, from what I remember. Didn't really do much, um, <laughs> but got offered the job, and so I got offered the job and thought, well, I can't turn this down. And and what was it? What was with uh, Midsummer House then? Was that a one or a two? Uh, it was one. It was one when I left, and then I think it was. Uh, the next year, so we'd had the staff for about two years, I think, before I left, and I left it, I don't know what year, 2003 maybe, so 2004 or five. they got the second staff. I was actually in Australia at the time, 
mm-hmm. had this phone call and no one rang me. No one rang me out there. That's phone call. So hello. So, <laughs> Matt, Matt, Matt. So yeah, I was like, chef. So yeah, so what? Like, oh, I'm in Australia. This is going to cost you a fortune. See, I know, but don't worry. We, like, we've got two stars. Like, hey, see, we've got two stars. I don't really know what to say. I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> like, <it's gonna> amazing. <laughs> right, I've got to go. See you later. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, this is cost me a fortune, buy. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was great. It was great. So, but what what is the fundamental difference then between a one or a two and a three? Is is it that sizable? Um, this is the question. So, one star, you know, in terms of criteria, it's it's all kind of fairly similar. Um, but a one star level, I think it's much more. I think you need to look at the descriptors from Michelin. So one star is um, worth worth a visit, you know, a restaurant that's worth a visit. And you have to remember what the guide is for or originally for. And it mm. wasn't about chef's egos. It was about travellers and it was to sell Michelin tyres, um, yep. mainly aimed at kind of the truckers and long-distance long drivers. Um, and so, you know, so if you're passing drop into this place. You know, we recommend it. It's got one star. Um, you know, it, it's kind of better than everything else in the area. Um, and then two stars is, you know, this is well worth a detour. And then three stars is like plan your journey to go and visit this place. Yeah. And that's that's the crux of it. That's what Michelin is. Um, but as it's kind of evolved, you know, one star is very much that. It's a really good restaurant. So really good food. Seasonal, well, it's, it's not even about the seasons, really, um, with Michigan, um, but certainly personality and consistency. And I think at two-star level, there's a bit more. As much as they always say it is about the food, it's certainly much more personality coming through. You know, it's quite a unique experience. Mm-hmm. And then three-star level, I think it's, you know, you take the best of those two stars worldwide, you know, and... Um, you know, does this restaurant compete with this restaurant over in France, in Italy, in Spain, in Japan, in America? Um, and I think that's the difference between three starts. You know, is that experience world class? So places like the Fat Duck, you know, there is there is no restaurant that competes with that except globally because of what they do. It's very unique. It's absolutely on point, everything they do. Um, and it's different, you know, and it's an absolute trendsetter. Mm-hmm. And what about, do you, I mean, did you know when they were coming in and all that, or not really, or could you spot them, or the Michelin people? Oh, you can do. Um, so, you know, back in the day, I'm pretty sure they have, but there's there used to be these lists that circulated with Michelin uh, inspectors' names and their pseudonyms. Oh, really? And all of this, and sometimes if you're lucky, you've got a sneaky picture. Um, and But I've never really been interested in that, because I don't like the panic and anxiety kind of attached to it you know, yeah it, it changes things if you know you've got an inspector in and you tell your team then you act differently you can't help yeah. but act differently um so some diners we, we had one not long before we closed actually um and we knew it but i only knew it because a friend who's got a restaurant kind of two miles away from me um had an inspection and then I saw we had a table of one. It was just, and it was just through conversation. Actually, I wasn't, I wasn't really interested. Um, but we kind of wait out. Actually, yeah, we've got them in. So yeah, you can do. But if you if you're looking for it, you always find them. But 
you know, I don't, I just not, I'm not fussed. I'd rather yeah. just do what we do. Yeah. Well, it's just, I mean, very different from Michelin star restaurant, but years ago when I was a kid, I worked in a record shop, uh, our price and what would happen? Oh, that's was, going back some years. I know <laughs> it's, it's old school. It's up there with Woolworths and all that, but, uh, like you, you'd get the tip off for the next shop that the area manager was coming, you know, like the the big wig for London, you know, and as you say, we all acted differently, and they they must have thought that the whole the air smelt of polish, you know, Mister Sheen, yeah, or whatever, you know, because that that was all you were doing. It just and you're you're better just having a good standard as much as you can rather than you know standing to attention, you know, it just yeah, it's exactly. all, all all a bit weird. It's all a bit weird. And then from from there, then so working with Gordon Ramsay and, and and that, I mean, did you spend much time with him, or was it more his proteges, or you know that type of thing? Yeah. So by the yeah, Gordon wasn't around much. Right? He'd pop in every day. Um, certainly didn't cook while he was there, but he was around for you know it might be might be twenty minutes, might be an hour, might be half a day. Um, but certainly, Mark. Uh, so Mark Askew essentially ran the logistics of the kitchen and then there was a head chef under and him so when I started it was David Dempsey and so they 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 kind of take Gordon's I guess vision of the food and then kind of put their own little spin on it but they you know once you get to head chef you spent so much time in that environment that you know mm. the style and so it didn't it didn't really change too much you know it wasn't it's not like it is now not since um like Claire Smythe took it over and was head chef, and she, I think, she kind of drastically moved it forward, and it was very much her stamp on the food. Mm. Um, but it was very much, you know, when I was there, it was, it was still very much Gordon's food. And then after that, where, where did you move on to after that? Yeah, I left Gordon. I was, I was at Gordon's for about ten months ish, and you know, it's just like you know, this is not for me. The, the reason why it wasn't for me is because I wasn't learning in a way that I wanted to learn. So by the time I left midsummer. We were we were questioning everything, you know, absolutely everything. Like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Why do we put salt in that? And why, you know, is there something else we can use to season? And just questioning everything. And then I went to Gordon's and it was like, you know, why are we doing this? I was like, because oh, you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get that. But why? Because you are. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So if it ain't broke. Me. And uh, it's not it's not like I found it hardy. I just spent three and a half years working with Daniel Clifford. Like he mentally broke me, rebuilt me, broke me again and rebuilt me. And so it's just, this is not mentally stimulating enough for me. And, and don't get me wrong, you know, it makes it sound like it wasn't good enough. It's just not the environment I wanted to be in. So then I went to the vineyard. I went for, I was supposed to spend um, a day there. So a day interviews stay over and there's a quick chat in the morning and so i did the day we stayed over i said can i do today as well so, so yeah, really had fun so i did two days interviews and um lost like, like totally lost track of time i need to leave by nine ended up leaving at half 11 um because i just kind of got sucked into it and just you know just loved it i loved john's style the food the kitchen everything about it it was just like, focused precise chilled yeah, it was just really good, really good. He's a nice man from memory. I'm sure I've seen him being interviewed before. Yeah, he is, and like hyper intelligent as well. And mm. he's not really given enough credit for that. He's an amazing cook, but he is very intelligent. I learned a lot in terms of kitchen management. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, a lot. I think I heard him raise his voice once. I spent a year at the vineyards and saw him kind of lose it once. Um, actually shout at someone, you know. But most of it was kind of quite, you know, it's everything. It was a very individual way in which he managed the team. So, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't shout at me. He'd pull me into the office and then he was like, all right. And he'd just talk to me and not, not belittle me at all, but actually get me to understand some of these major mistakes that I made, you know, whereas mm-hmm. previously you just get drilled into the ground. Um, you know, like, oh, I can't do that again. And then it's, you know, with John, it was like, what have you done? Why have you done it? This is how we fix it. I really don't want to see that again. Okay, chef. Yeah. And it didn't, didn't happen again. So, so yeah, it's, yeah, it's amazing. And, you know, he went on to achieve two stars in a, in a, I don't know, 18, 90 cover restaurant, I think they had, plus a couple of function rooms. I can't remember how many bedrooms they got at the vineyards, but that's, that's major. That's a major achievement. Mm. Definitely. And then was it Australia after that? Yeah, spent pretty much bang on a year um, at the vineyards. And then I went to Australia, yeah. and just took a year out to do something that I always fancied doing. You know, I always wanted to go to Australia. And then when you came back then, what what, what did you find? Was was there something waiting for you or? No, not at all. So I came back in the November. So I had a bit of work over December, but I didn't realise where the agency works. So all the good jobs go to the loyal agency guys, you know, so all the newbies get the kind of the crap stuff, if any work at all. Um, well, in, in the UK, in the UK, they just yeah, weren't really that interested. Yeah, no, not at all. And I, like, even my CV was banging as well, eh? Like, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Um, Christ. So yeah, so no work, no work at all. Oh. Um, and then was was that South Lodge then? So yeah, so I was speaking to so the guy, one of the agency guys I was working with. He said, "Right, I've got a I've got a permanent role for you um, if you're interested." So I was looking for something that I could be uh, be a sous chef. Um, and, you know, I wasn't too interested in the food at all because not that I knew everything, but I was like, I'm confident in my ability to cook. I don't want, it's not what I want to learn at the moment. I just want to learn to manage a team. So I want like a two rosette restaurant, no Michelin, not high end. I just want somewhere I can manage a team. That's what I want to learn. And so, um, yeah, the agency came back and said, right, we've got this place. It's a three rosette restaurant. It's a four star hotel. It's like, no, it's not what, not what I'm after at all. He said, well, just go for the interview and uh, if nothing else is experience. So, okay, fine. So, yeah, went for an interview, met Lewis, who's the exec chef, and just really got on with him. Just asking if he'd want to push it more. He said, well, it's not about what I want. You're coming in here with fresh eyes, fresh ideas. He said, what can you do? Like, can you mm-hmm. maintain three rosettes? I said, well, I don't know. You know, it's not what I was after. Um, and so he kind of challenged me on that interview and I really liked it. So, yeah, I got offered the job like straight away. So okay then, let's let's do this. Let's see where we can go with this then. Um, it was just good. We had a great relationship. You know, he was pretty old school. I was kind of challenging him. He was challenging me constantly, and um, you know, it's this kind of not a battle at all. But he, there's quite a lot of old school dishes that he wanted to do, but they just, you know, they just have no interest. But it's okay, well, let's let's kind of take those base ideas and let's kind of do this, this, and this with it and kind of modernise things. And that, that was our relationship. It was great. And were you developing your style kind of all the way along as well? You know, by that point, had you formed what your style was or was this the, the start of you 
yeah, and they that, were not. That, that was that was the beginning of it. That's when you realise how little you are taught how to create dishes and menus. When I was suddenly put in that position to create dishes and menus, I was like, oh, you know, you don't want to copy anyone else. You don't want to copy anything you've done previously. Mm-hmm. Kind of default back to that a little bit. And I think once you realise you defaulting to someone else's food you can then look at okay what journey do i actually want to go on here with the comedian restaurant at the hotel it was tricky because you, there's only so far you could push it. it was it was very much about doing nice food so you could have a bit of fun with some dishes but um you know it was the hotel restaurant so you know some people aren't there to be challenged they just want to go and have dinner uh, so and you know sunday sunday's my worst day because it was just roast after roast after roast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, it just didn't interest me at all. But you had to do it because that's what people want. Um, but during this process, during this whole time, there was talk of a new new bedrooms and a new kitchen. So I thought, well, it'd be really good to be part of that and just to go through that process, you know, just to be involved with it. Um, little did I know that, you know, we'd be talking about a new kitchen with a restaurant in it and, you know, been presented with the option whether I wanted to stay in the Camellia or take on this new restaurant called The Pass. And then what what was your thinking when you were weighing it all up? It was kind of a no-brainer for me, you know, because it's, oh, it's new, it's shiny, and we can have some fun with this. And, you know, I can put my stamp on this and I don't have to do Sunday roasts and I don't have to do breakfast and I don't, you know, (laughs) I can take all those, like, inconveniences and put them to the side and really focus on some something new and and kind of really high end um and that was kind of you know much to lewis's disappointment because because um comedia is just a beast of a restaurant and it just takes a lot to manage it and control it you know it's open seven days a week breakfast lunch and dinner and because i got on well with him and i knew that restaurant he kind of wanted me to wanted to keep me there but it was never going to be was never going to achieve what I wanted to achieve in that restaurant. And so with the past, I thought, you know, I could possibly achieve a mission and star in this restaurant. Whether I do or not is irrelevant, but there's the potential that it could happen there. It's never going to happen, Camellia, but there's potential it could happen in the past. So, so yeah, for me, it was like, this is what I want to do. Nice. Hi, I'm Alex from Engage, and thanks for tuning in to the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Each week, we'll be bringing you a great tip to supercharge your own digital marketing. And this week's comes from James, our head of page search, who shares his insights on bidding on local searches. Local searches, for example, queries including near me or in my area, are growing year on year. They usually represent a potential customer that is ready to convert. Take advantage of this high intent traffic by building specific campaigns focusing on this type of search traffic in Google and Bing. A couple of good tips for getting the most out of this traffic are one, to set your geotargeting radius to something sensible for your business. Will people travel one mile, five miles, or further for your product or service? And two, create advert copy that directly mentions the locality. For example, a headline that starts, looking for X near you, where X is your product or service, is a great way to grab the attention of your audience. As always, monitor performance on your search query reports, see how things are working, and adjust from there. If you need help with your own paid advertising campaigns, then head over to engageinteractive.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you can see how we've helped some of the UK's most ambitious and successful hospitality brands with theirs. Cheers, and enjoy the rest of the episode. During that time, 
as well. Is that where TV started taking an interest in what you were doing? Um, not really. Uh, it was we had a um, PR company that would look up. They looked after the group. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember who it was at the time, but they said, "Right, we're going to put you forward for this, this, and this." So they had. Um, so for the key restaurants, they had um, a plan for the head chefs. And then for other areas of the hotels, um, there were different bits of PR. And so I think there was four of us. And so we were put, all put forward for various different things and screen tested and, and bits and pieces. So it was just part of the, the PR wheel, to be honest. And it's of, it was of interest, but it wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't saying, right, get me on this program. Let me do this. Let me do this. It was, you know, I just wanted to cook, to be honest. But you then start seeing how things are changing so you know i joined twitter and various different things and you can see like okay so there's more and more kind of social stuff happening here and the way to get bums on seats is to be visible to as many people as possible and yeah so tv kind of started from there and so from first meeting the team at great british menu to actually getting on great british menu was probably about two years really jeez But we, I didn't. I had no, I had no um, product really. You know, we just opened the pass. Um, we had no, we had nothing to shout about apart from it was a restaurant in the kitchen. Um, you know, there was no accolades. We weren't. I wasn't a name myself. There was, there was nothing. Um, we had no style myself. There was nothing I could confidently talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was key. And that was kind of the feedback. It was like you know, you're like everything you're talking about is you know, it's what you want to do, but it needs to be what you're doing. I said, well, yeah, it's kind of like, are you happy with it? No, not really. Okay, but I'll come back when you're happy with it. So, And with that, you were contesting, were you judging as well eventually? No, no. I've been, uh, been totally sideballed, right? <laughs> so <laughs> after winning, that was it. I've had no contact. I'd love to. I'd love to be a, a judge from GBM, but. But again, I, you know, I, I after I won, um, got to go to to the banquet. I left South Lodge that year. Mm-hmm. So that was two thousand and sixteen, um, and since then, there's been nothing, nothing solid. You know, again, there's nothing to as much as you can say. Oh, you know, he had a star and he won. You know, he got the main course set. There's, there's nothing else. There's no other story there. And mm-hmm. you know, so for me, I you know, I need to start again. I need to build that back up, and that's what I'm currently doing. Not yeah. you know, I'm not building a story just to be a judge on GBM, but you know, this is no, no, no. And you know, it needs to be slower and it needs to be more organic. So, yeah. I mean, it, it was it's always been a great show, and you know, I, I always enjoyed seeing Jeremy from uh, Covadis on it. You know, I always yeah, thought yeah. he was really fun and and you know just kind of flamboyant and that and you know and, and you got goat goat to the to the banquet didn't you i did yeah 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 and just for anyone that doesn't know what what was the goat dish what was in it what wasn't in it, it was uh, <laughs> so the the yeah the background of that dish was so that was for the women's institute and celebrating 100 years of the wi um and so looking at just looking at what the Women's Institute were about and it was about, you know, teaching and minimal waste and ethical sourcing and farming and you know, it was all sorts of things and family as well. So mm. and it almost it was almost the easiest dish to create out of the four dishes for that menu. 
um, it just wrote itself. And, you know, go, grow up on goat. Um, yeah. and I was like, well, what can we do? People don't eat goat, so we can educate people with goat. Um, but also what you can do with it, you know, it's not just in a curry. And so that was what I did. I took a whole goat and then used every cut, every part of that goat, you know, so the leg, we salt baked the leg, slow cooked the shoulder um, with the, uh, so we did this like roulade, this loin of goat as well. So wrapped it in, wrapped it up with the, you know, the kidneys and the fillet. All the juice that came comes out of the shoulder, we turn that into a jelly, make a sauce from the bones, all the trim, we made a mince and like a shepherd's pie. What else? <laughs> well, well, I'm thinking about your, like yours was definitely one that stood out. And the, the other one that sticks in my mind weirdly is, um, is it Nigel Hayworth? Yeah. So, Hayworth. Hot and he did the, the hot pot. Yeah. And that was one of the first years I remember. And the, the thing that seemed to be a theme, you know, because I was kind of thinking, if I ever went on this, like I was trying to create a wee formula that would make you win. But one of the one of the things was making things shareable, you know, because it's a banquet, you know, with something like that, because everyone could dive in, you know, the, the judges seem to really like that. But obviously there's a different judging set then and and all the rest well, of it. You know, that's what, that was my thought process for, for my dish with the goat, because that's what we did. It was... um. So, you know, you have these family get-togethers and at, at our family get-togethers, you have this, you know, this goat and, and like three different curries and fish cakes and yeah. all sorts. And you just kind of help yourself and it's a real family thing. Yeah. So I really do a platter, that, but the original dish was a platter. And looking back, it looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, and even, even the producers are like, he served on a white plate. Like, why is he why is it on a white plate like it's, and so they liked it but it's like this needs to be more because it's yeah. tv isn't it it needs to be you know it needs to be more aesthetically pleasing that like, okay fine well, what do we do how can i tell this story more okay we'll put it in a book and we'll have a story <laughs> to go with it but yeah but funny enough but so as much as they do like the sharing on this occasion they you know, been been the sharing platter off, and you know that family wow. service because it wasn't wasn't the thing that was selling the dish. So yeah, or a failed. So then after South Lodge, then you, you you came to Brighton. I did, I did. 2015 was like just an absolutely bonkers, like mentally draining year for me. So we, uh, you know, I went through so much. So right at the top of the year, I was having a refurb of the restaurant. Um. But I didn't, so we normally closed first two weeks of January, but I didn't take any time off because um, Kara, my other half, was pregnant. So we were due in at the end of January. Yeah. So I thought, well, I won't take any time off. I'll get menus done. I'll see over this refurb and stuff. So if, for whatever reason, if Kara goes into labour early, about the time we're due to reopen, at least all the back work is done. Yeah, it's all and, done. And so it's all done. And so, you know, I won't be missed at all. So did the refurb reopens about a week later one of my chefs was involved in a in a fatal car accident oh, no. uh, and so that i mean that just knocked us like totally you know there was there was about three days where i just don't know how we even did anything you know it was just yeah. like horrendous um and then so yeah so so three weeks after that accident molly was born and then i don't know it was about Four weeks, five weeks after that, we did um, the f- oh three weeks, three weeks after that was filming the finals for Great British Menu. 
And then, so got through that. And then a bit later on, we did the, obviously filmed the banquet. And the things went mental, you know, it was just, just busy, busy, busy. And then not long after that, we, uh, I mean, many chefs will know who I'm talking about when I say um, John Ray Sanchez Iglesias. So he's a good friend of mine um, and had been suffered, suffering a while with cancer, who then passed away later that year. Just blow after blow or, or life yeah, event after life event? I mean, it's like the extremes of like... Highs and lows. and just devastation. It's just, yeah, it's brutal. And just to process, like you can't process that, you know, and it was like towards the end of the year. And I was like, well, what what am I going to do now at the restaurant? You know, we've, yeah. we've got, we've, we've had Michelin star for five years. Mm-hmm. We are, you know, on paper, like the best restaurant in the area. You know, we have four rosettes and I think we had seven out of 10 in the good food guide. Um, number 12 in the Times um, top 100, I think. And, you know, it was, it was like crazy accolades if I look back on it now. Um, you know, the the restaurant is full, lunch and dinner. What's next? Is is two stars possible? Is it even, like, I don't know. I don't know if it's possible or not. Um, I just took this decision. Well, if I do any more, then it's, it's, not, it's still not my restaurant. Like, emotionally, it is. But yeah, financially, physically, it's not. And so I've got a choice here. Do I stay here or do I do something else, you know? I remember just as you're saying that, that, that there was, like I was in a job years ago and I wasn't very happy and I was, I was at an airport in America and uh, I picked up this kind of hippie cartoon book called Life is Good. And it's all these kind of sayings throughout, you know, all these kind of cheesy life, laugh, love kinds. But one of, one of the things was good and it said, um, you'll never be a success living someone else's dream. And that always stuck with me, you know, because, you know, when, in your situation as well, you know, if I worked for Pret or Yosushi or, or, you know, whoever I was working with, like, I, I can do a great, but it's not mine, you know, I can help and, and all the rest of it, but you can't really, so it's an, it's an important crossroads I think a lot of people come to where they get to the top of their game with something, but then you're just wanting to go that extra, extra mile and have something that you can call your own. yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's a bit of a gift and a curse, really, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, you know, with because I could have stayed. I mean, don't get me wrong; I was on a great salary. Yeah, I had, I was literally, you know, fifteen minutes drive to home, um, no financial responsibilities at all with the place. I just had to make sure it it kind of sustained cash when I hit my GPs. Um, total freedom of like absolute autonomy of what what happened in that restaurant. Um, you know, it was actually, you know, kind of quite envious position, really. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I decided, you know what, yeah, let's jack all this all in and let's go and do something wrong. <laughs> let's press the self-destruct button. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I was there for 10 years. I've done 10 years at South Lodge and, you know, that's a pretty good innings, yeah, in any job in this world, um, yeah, yeah. in this industry. And, it's, you know, it's, it's time for a change, time for a challenge. And, um, you know, I met Mike, uh, who uh, owns Lucky Beach on Brighton, and I did a yeah, he's awesome. things there. You know, and he approached me and said, "Right, I've got, I've got a hold of a cafe." Um, so, right, I'll do the cafe bit, and so, and you know, it's going to be closed. Why don't you do something in the evenings? You run it as a restaurant in the evenings. I said, "Well, that's mm-hmm. never going to work, is it? Like, that's just bonkers." Because, like, whose space is it? Your space or my space? Do I pay you rent, or do like, what? How does that even work? And so. You know, after many conversations, like, okay, right, we do this together, and 
we, you know, so we're, we're business partners and, and we'll both look after, you know, Red Roaster and we'll tra- transform that and rebrand that. And But in the evenings, we'll still do a higher end offer. We'll call it something else. So there's a significant difference. Um, and, you know, on paper, it sounds mad, you know, cafe by day, high end restaurant at night. It sounds interesting. Um, and I think we got a little bit carried away with the, the romantic idea of that because it sounds so cool, like no one's doing it. Um, and yeah, it was just, it was just bloody hard work that, you know, to trans, to take a restaurant, to take a cafe and then change everything about it. You know, the food style, the weight, the uniforms, the drinks, the like, everything, you know, you're literally going from a cafe to a restaurant, you know, go for prep, not, you know, prep to the pass, you know, in, in the same yeah. building with the same, it was like, this is a cool idea, but we don't have the logistics to do this. And so it was good. I think what we did, we did very well, but it was just very hard to maintain that. It looked amazing though. I mean, in terms of, you know, you, you made it, you know, the Mecca for Instagrammers taking selfies. Uh, yeah. um, I can't take any credit for that. It was, um, so my <laughs> designer, um, uh, who's Anna Hakim? She was based. She's based in Melbourne, actually. Designed a lot of um, like high-end restaurants and cafes out there, um, like Kettle Black and and that group of uh, cafes. So Mike wanted to use her, and then she came over and said, "Yeah, it's a project I want to do." And so she, yeah, she did. She kind of went to town on that. Um, so yeah, I can't, I can't accept any any credit for it at all. Um, and how long was Pike and Pine going for then? Um, so we opened in 2017, uh, what was it February, February for Red Roasters. We opened Red Roaster first and then yeah. we opened about three weeks later, we opened Pike and Pine. Um, so it was about March time and then the end of 2018 is when we decided to not to reopen that for various different reasons, you know, it's, um, it was just so much, so many things changed in 2018 with, you know, the cover counts and, and the staffing and how it operated as one. And, um, it was just really tricky. And we, you know, we decided once we get to the Christmas period, we'll do the Christmas period. And then that'll be that with Pike and Pine. Um, and I, I kind of, I was looking at doing other things as well anyway. And I said to Mike, do you know what? We should probably just, you know, call this a day then, because you know, I don't, I don't need to be here to do the cafe side of stuff. As much as it's cool and it's exciting, like there's other things I want to be doing. So, so yeah, we we kind of draw drew a line under that, and and that was the end of that. From Supersonic Inc., this is the Mark McSee Supersonic Marketing Podcast. The Supersonic Marketing Podcast is also brought to you by Atenzi the world's leading gamified simulation training provider. Even before the COVID-19 crisis, a LinkedIn study found that more than half of learning and development professionals were looking at remote learning solutions. Given hospitality's new reality, how do you plan to train your staff to accelerate your business out of these tough times? With Attenzi's gamified simulation training, you can accurately recreate the situations and environments that your people will face day in, day out to engage and rapidly develop their abilities. 
Forget static e-learning, dusty training manuals and passive videos and embrace training's new era with Atenzi. Find more information and get started today at atenzi.com forward slash restaurants. You sort of then had a look around and thought, well, I'm going to go for some crowdfunding. So what was the thought about the heritage? And like, it just seemed, it didn't seem like a gamble. I mean, I don't mean that at all, but it was such a big, lofty thought. And But you overwhelmingly got some great love on Twitter about it straight away. And then that followed through with the crowdfunding. I know, it was mental, wasn't it? I, I don't know, even now I think back and think, well, how on earth do we did that? Um, so that... Um, so while towards the end of when I was in Brighton, I had um, Electro Pirate, which was just like a pop up casual thing at the Foresters. We did a private party, and one of the guests um, that came used to come to the past quite a lot. So he was sat. I was chatting to him. He sat at the bar with one of his mates, and he was he was telling his friend about the past and what we were doing. And I just started Electro Pirate, blah blah blah, and. His friend was like, oh, it's up near you. There's this empty pub and it's been closed for years and, you know, you should take a look at it. But I wasn't looking for a pub. It's not what I wanted to do. And then I was up at Electropire on the Sunday and speaking to one of the waitresses and I said, oh, how's your weekend? What have you been up to? So oh, one of my, the lady I work for, she's, um, she's had a, a dinner party. Um, so I was looking after that with her. So right, how many people was that for? She said, oh, about 30. I said, like, What? Who has a dinner party for 30 people? Like, well, how big's that? <laughs> sure, I said in this little village called Slutham. I was like, is it like a pub? So yeah, yeah, it's been closed for a couple of years. Like, What's it called? She's like, oh, the checkers. Like, like, someone else mentioned that to me on Friday. That's twice this week yeah. that someone's mentioned this place. So, okay, right. So on the Monday, I'm going to go and take a look at it just to have a look, you know, because because why not, you know, I had nothing else to do. And I did, as soon as I drove through the village and the windy roads and kind of turned the corner and it, the building just kind of was there, so I, you know, I just thought, this is it. I don't, I, I know nothing about this place, but this is it. I didn't know what it was, but this is my resting place in in the food world, you know, after this, I'm not going to do anything else. So That's quite a cool there, feeling there was, there. Like letting agent boards up, there was, there was nothing, there's no information, just security board saying keep out. Um, and yeah, that's why I turned, that's when I started turning to Twitter and I was like, right, who does anyone know this place? Who owns it? I got a few replies back and it was owned by Elaine's Pub Company or well, they had the lease. And so I'd spent two days trying to track down who had it, who I need to speak to, blah, 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 blah. And yeah, so then I met the financial controller. On site, it's like, so you, you're going to need a fair amount of cash to get this going. So, yeah, 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 it's not a problem. So then turn to, you know, all those people over the years that have said, you know, would love to back you doing something. It's all right. It's crunch time now, guys. You want to do it? Oh, not a good time for me. <laughs> I thought, you know, I've got nothing to lose here. So what, what options do I have? I can't borrow on the house because there just isn't enough equity in it. So the only route is crowdfunding, really. So I did. So that's when, you know, put it out everywhere and said, well, Matt at Crossroads, we either go and get a normal job or go and work for someone else, or we crowdfund this, we do it together, we get the keys and we create something special, like super amazing. And that's what we did. Took crowdfunding and 
put that. I probably needed about a hundred thousand, really. But mm-hmm. Kickstarter, it's um, it's all or nothing. So if you don't achieve your target, then you don't get anything. So I thought, well, if I put it at sixty, I think that's possible, and at least it's something. Yeah. So, so that's what I did, and then like loads of planning, loads of planning went into it. And just like geeky planning as well, like when's the best time to post and yeah. You know, and what were the answers to that? Was it when people might be drunk? Yeah, <laughs> wasn't uh, yeah, not quite. Or well, some of them, yeah, but uh, <laughs> it, 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 yeah, a bit more geeky than that. It's like, well, if we if we launch it then, then I'll cross over two paydays because I launched it right at the end of February, I think. Genius. Valentine's. It was the end of January. So yeah, two paydays, Valentine's, and the lead up to Mother's Day as well. Nice. Um, so the, yeah, there's a few things there we captured on, and then as I started, so yeah, we pushed go on everything, and then uh, Daniel Clifford rang me up and said, you know, what can I do? How can I help? Um, do you want us to do a dinner? I was like, That'd be amazing. So then, wow, it's yeah, posted that about Daniel Clifford. Michael Hare then says, right, what can I do? Can I do a dinner? So like, yeah, no, let's do this. Um, and then various stuff. So it actually grew while it was happening as well. Um, and so there was constant, yeah, there's this constant interest that was happening. Um, but yeah, when I, when I launched it, though, I didn't really know what to expect for the first day. So I was watching it. I was like, boom, by the end of the day, it was at 10 grand. I was like, wow, that's pretty good. But, you know, they can't, we can't sustain that. And then day two, up and up and up it goes and finish the day on 10 grand. And it just kept going the same for six days and six days. We had 60 grand and kind of quite emotional and overwhelming really because there's that many people, 640 people got involved with the project and bought a reward or just donated cash or spread, you know, so many more people just spread the word because they wanted to be part of it. And, it, you know, it's, it was quite, quite fascinating really as well. You exceeded the target eventually though, didn't you? So Yeah, yeah. So we did 60, achieved the target in six days. And then went on to achieve, uh, was it 89,000? Jeez. Which is mega, you know. Brilliant. I mean, and then did you did you have to do like videos to promote it and all that kind of thing as well? Or did you just mainly do it as posts and pictures and things like that? Yeah, no, I, do, I really didn't want to do a video. So I did, when I was at Red Roaster, we did um, one at Red Roaster for our garden project. And it, it like bombed massively, like didn't happen at all. So I'm not going to do a video. I'll just do a piece to camera and oh, this is terrible. So I got got in touch with Mike, um, who did the video for the last one. And I known him for a few years. So like, right, Mike, don't have the cash, but if this is successful, I'll just pay you in food or whatever for you and a few mates. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So when do you need it? Well, I need it in like two days. Is that right? <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll move some stuff around and I'll come down and do it. I said, right, I've got an hour and a half. I could show you around super quick. So we did that and did that. He said, oh, I've got a new toy as well. He said, oh, it's a drone. I said, like, no way. So because I had this idea that we could go to the garden and use a drone to then fly fly away just to show the sheer scale of the building because you don't really well, get that cool. through the pictures. So right, let's go. Let's just do it. And so we did that whole video, the whole promotional kind of tour video of what we were doing everything was so ad-lib it was just two days notice hour and a half filming no scripts um yeah nailed it i think because of that it was the video was done on passion and just yeah you know it was it was just pure 
character and and personality that came through on that and and what could do with the project and and yeah so i'm so glad that i did choose to do the video as well because it brings it to life a bit it's a tough thing you know when i was working with the agency that I had before I went out my own just there we used to get an awful lot of briefs coming in about i need to need the video i need to do a video and a lot of the the briefs that come in you thought oh, i'm not even sure that's going to raise money you know that like the, the idea wasn't powerful enough for the concept or why they needed money or, you know, these kind of things. Whereas yours was so genuine, so community-related. You had a lot of goodwill anyway and, and some good contacts. So, like, put all that together. You know, I think the only one that's comparable, I would have said, is, is something like the Gary Usher efforts, you know? Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. And, uh, you know, so, Gary was kind of... Uh, you know, he, he's, he's kind of been the go-to for the previous one I did and for this one. But I'm not Gary at all. I'm not Gary Usher, and I don't have that confidence that he has in chatting to camera and you know all those things. He's got a much bigger personality than me. Um, but there are things that you can take f- from it as well. Um, yeah. I think it was just the honesty. Then that's the thing that came through, is the honesty in all his videos. And what about the heritage and so menu style you know how you would explain it to people you know all that kind of stuff and also big thoughts around it being a destination restaurant you know as opposed to something that was you know a lot more central and 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 some you know challenges there as well yeah um in terms of location it's always my idea of my own restaurant would be something out in the countryside Mm -hmm. um and what lent this property to that as well is that it's you should just be able to come off the a23 and down a slip road and then you're into the village but that got closed off a good few years ago when they redid the the um dual carriageway so now you have to drive through whichever way you come in there's a three different ways you can come into the restaurant um but you have to drive through those windy country roads and so that that's that's perfect for me that's that means we have to we've got license now to do it has to be special. There is no, we've got an excuse to only do high end, you know, that we don't even have to justify it. But, you know, there's some places where you could say, oh, that's a bit too fancy or this is a bit too much or whatever, whatever, whatever. No one's going to come here unless it's absolutely special. You know, I don't have to worry about doing a, we, we do a good value lunch menu, but I don't have to, you know, worry about doing a two for one or I don't have to do a burger or I don't have to do any of this. You know, this is not a pub anymore. This is high end because mm-hmm. it has to be, um, which is gambling itself, you know. But I thought if that doesn't work, then it's not going to work, is it? So it's, if it if it's not going to work doing what we do and be busy, then it's not going to be busy doing average. So yeah, so we we do is it is high end. We are a restaurant. I do bill it as a restaurant um, with bedrooms now, which is great with amazing views and up until we closed, we were running quite a lot of menus, um, two different lunch menus, three courses for £27.50, I think it was. And then a five course for lunch. And then, uh, and then we ran a la carte as well, just to feel it. And then we ran a five course and a seven course tasting for dinner. There's all sorts, there was loads going on, but we needed to kind of feel what people wanted in the area and what, what was going to work price wise and time wise for everyone, I guess. And what do you think was winning out of all that then? Um, the 
a la carte we got rid of just after Christmas or just, just um, so when we came back after Christmas after our break we we took the a la carte out um, because it was just we weren't really selling that much and when we did it was just it just threw the service totally through it so so do you know what we're not going to be that we're not going to do that it's actually an inconvenience for us so lunch menu uh, was you know an absolute winner um you know not 27.50 it's not it's not going to break the bank but it's also not the cheapest but in terms of value for money i think it was awesome you know awesome value mm. for money so that was good for us and we, plus we've got the we've got the views it, it's such a lunchtime venue you know and at that price it's like there's not many places better to be honest you know in terms of in terms of the whole package so yeah so there was a few things there was a few things and what we noticed actually certainly with dinner is that people like to spend money you know or they did anyway i mean this kind of might have absolutely you know <laughs> destroyed it now but people want to spend money and so we gave them the opportunity to do so well i don't know it's quite interesting on the money thing because obviously there's a lot of people you know that are not making money and, and all the rest of it but i think there's a bit of pent up spending because when you are at home you you probably i mean i would have thought you're spending less so there's there's a bit of a balance there and i i know that riddling fins for example they in on the beach in brighton they've just started doing things like lobster rolls and they weren't they cheap i mean they were 12.50 or something wow. and queued out the door to get them, hundreds of folk want them. So, I, 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 I don't. It's going to be quite interesting this price sensitivity thing, and I, do, I guess it depends how long it goes on. But I think for a lot of people, if they are on their eighty percent or they have been lucky enough to keep their wages, um, I mean, if you think about the no travel, and then you're not five pound for a you know your breakfast, another ten for your lunch, and then if you're out late, you know, working or drinking or. So I think unless you're getting delivery every day, you know you're probably being quite economical. Yeah, and and people will want to treat themselves. So let's hope so. Yeah, no, I, I think so. I think so. I, I think I, I actually saw Gary Usher saying, "I hope people don't get too good at teaching themselves how to cook." You know, in this in this time. But no, I mean, I think if you're in a position where you do something that you can't replicate at home. And it's always been the worry for a lot of restaurants anyway. You know, if you're an Italian that's, you know, pizza-based or, you know, unless you're something a wee bit special, you know, it's not it's not worth going out for. But I think people really appreciate something that's a treat and it's definitely something they could not achieve in their wildest dreams at home, you know. So you're, you're, you'll definitely be in a strong position. Yeah, I think so. I've had quite a few messages from people saying, oh, it's my my partner's birthday or it's our anniversary and you know obviously we can't go out would you consider doing us a three or four course like meal that you can give instructions to and then drop off which like is quite nice i mean i didn't do it because i'm just i'm just not geared up for it um you know and actually just get just getting the produce that i need to get to do those things yeah it's tricky you know it's not like going going to sainsbury's or tesco's or waitrose or anything and um mm. And just what I need is quite specific as well um, yeah. to those things. Plus, so I just, and I didn't want to cheat anyone either. You know, I didn't want to be selling the products which people are expecting to be heritage and not be that. So, so I decided not to do that. But, it, but it's certainly given me food for thought when we kind of start ramping up again. And I think, 
dining at home is still going to be quite a big thing. But if you don't have to make it yourself and you can order in something, you know, so with a private show, you know, if we only if you if people are too nervous to leave the house and go to a restaurant for a gathering, which uh, which is probably a little way down the line now, then why not do it in your home and we'll drop drop a chef off and food and stuff. So, so yeah, it's certainly something I'm considering. It's going to be it's going to be really interesting, I think. You know, and uh, round here as well, we've got like Wild Floor. I've been doing their finish at home kits, which. Uh, I think actually we might be getting one this Saturday night, so I'm quite excited about that. So, but you know, you'd rather go there. You know, you'd rather go there and support them and see them and 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 have the atmosphere and all the rest of it. So, it's a it's a good in betweener. Um, but I think most people would would rather go to you. You know, for 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 the type of thing that you guys do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, but I think a lot of the the fast casual might be replaceable you know, with, with something you can do at home or is it really worth going out for, for that thing? So it's going to be quite interesting to see how it breaks down. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I better let you go soon as well, man, because like, you've got a life to lead and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> a good but, uh, it's been great. So there's a couple of just be final questions, um, just a wee bit of fun at the end. So we do this thing called Mark Out of Ten. And it's just to see some of the things that you like. So what do you think? You know, you're well travelled and, and you know and all the rest of it. So best city to eat in, you know, what do you think the best city in the world is to eat in at the moment? Uh, it depends on what you're after, really. Um I think I think like London, I think London's amazing. You know, the variety in London is uh, is you know, it's phenomenal. You get everything there and from from street food and some pretty like bomb stuff to um, you know, three star restaurants. So I'm going to stick with London. I, I mean, it's hard to see past it because there is just so much. Um, there is just so much like choice and whatever you want at any time. It, it's all there. Um, you know, and it's hard to. I, I think a lot of people are saying New York's kind of running close, but it's just maybe not got the the depth or the width. Um, yeah, I think so. It's, it's so subjective, isn't it? It's um, you know, I've, I've been to some, you know. Say Melbourne, Singapore, Singapore's like amazing as well. But in terms of variety, if that's what you're after, then like there's not many cities like London, you know. And what about best restaurant? Um, again, my in terms of high end restaurants, the best meal I've had is was at Long Clume. Um, oh yeah, yeah, probably the most consistent with every course. The most consistent restaurant I've been to a lot of like really good restaurants as well um yeah love that but i love man behind the curtain and yeah um to, where did i go i was in i was in uh miami and uh went to brad kilgore's uh restaurant there again that was that was brilliant but i was in miami you know and it was just it's, it's food it's, it's, it's just brilliant yeah. as well and the, the sun was all like, the weather was awesome and i'd had a few cocktails before and you get you know those things influence it don't they but yeah, I think from experience and uh, and food and consistency and, and everything like that, um, yeah, long clue. But can you like switch off when you go to a restaurant, or are you? Yeah, easy. Figuring stuff out, or yeah, no? But I'm always going to do that. You know, it's just it's it's ingrained now. It's you know conditioned to you know if I eat something, I taste it. You know, and, and 
that's how it is. I can I can still eat a meal. It's not you know it's not a drama. I'm not constantly at work. I can appreciate things for what they are. You know, I'm not going to go to the pub down the road and and compare it to you know sat bangs because they're just not the same, not at all. You know, but I do know a good burger, so I'll compare a burger for a burger. And you know, like certain place I went for a burger and it was terrible. I'll never ever go back there because of that for their burgers. But yeah, I can switch off unless it's bad. Then it's difficult. <laughs> then you get irate. Yeah. <laughs> and what about your best dish? Then is there a standout dish that you crave that you know is is, is something that once this lockdown's over, you'll be rushing to go and get? Um. Oh, maybe. Um. Maybe one of those prep. Um. Swedish spiced meatball. Rock. Oh, nice! This recently wrapped. <laughs> Do you know what? It's it's not so much a dish that I I miss. I don't really because I don't go out to eat that much, and I don't you know I don't go out and you know, we're not going to Wagamama's every week or things like that. But certain things, and it's more that kind of you know is that going to prep, have doing a little bit of work, having that coffee, and um you know and just those yeah you know, Swedish meatball wrap things. I miss those. <laughs> and then best drink, just finishing up, is there a, a go-to drink for you? Um, generally, I mean, anything with vodka in it. Um, <laughs> really, <laughs> outside of tea, um, yeah, it's kind of tea or vodka. <laughs> Vodka-based drinks. Vodka-based, uh, yeah, cocktails. Is a... Nice. Good stuff. Well, listen, I better let you go and uh, get on with your life. And um, it was just a real pleasure to chat to you and a really nice, relaxed chat about stuff. So, um, yeah, I think people will get a lot out of it and just hearing your story and, and you know, hearing your, your rise to what you're doing and, and what you're going to do next. And obviously we'll, uh, we'll all try and get down to the heritage when we can. Yeah, that'd be great to have you up. Brilliant. So there you have it, another great guest on the Supersonic Marketing Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and telling all of your friends about the podcast. We're seeing those listening numbers go up and up and up every single week. Thanks so much for writing into us every week and rating, reviewing, subscribing and sharing. We really, really couldn't do this without you. A huge thanks also to our headline sponsor, Engage Interactive, for anything that you need digitally, whether that's SEO, websites, PPC, apps, CRM, emails, any of that stuff, please get in touch with Alex at Engage and he will definitely help you out. Thanks also to our headline sponsors, BDO, who've been with us since day one, supporting us all the way through. Again, if you have any financial needs, financial queries, you need some help with your financial strategy, your mergers and acquisitions or building your business even bigger, please get in touch with Peter at bdo.co.uk and he will help you out. Check out Peter Hemington. Him and the team will help you out toot sweet. Huge thanks also to Gaz and Gabby for all of their help in putting the podcast together. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off. Bless you. Thanks for listening. And I really hope that this episode has given you so much value that it will help your brand boom. Boom.